tell you something. Welcome to episode two of the Retro Rankings podcast, where we strive to give you a reason for living. So grab a beer or some other alcoholic beverage, whatever you got, and get ready for the most questionable podcast you've ever heard. If you're new here and need background, I'd like to point you to episode one. Go back there and listen to that. And welcome, by the way. Uh, if you're not new here, I would question why you didn't learn your lesson after the first episode, but you know, whatever. It's your life. You're living it. Uh, but uh, welcome to you as well. My name is Paul, and today I'm drinking uh, Pabst, the, uh, the hard coffee. The Actually, it's the cold brew version. Because it's actually morning. <laughs> so, as I record this... Um, so no hard liquor or regular beer for me. It's the Pabst uh, cold brew coffee. Um, and we have quite the humdinger of an episode today. Uh, before we get into it, I'd like to do my civic duty here in the world of gaming and share with you uh, some new releases from this week that you may or may not uh, be interested in. Um I don't know if I'm going to do this every episode. It's just whatever I feel like doing uh, the day I record. So um, anyway, here we go. So we have Chillery 2 for the PS5, the Xbox Series S and X, the PS4, the Xbox One, and the PC. And that is today. Um, and also today we have Edge of Eternity for the PC. And uh, you got your choices depending upon what you own. Um, the Elder Scrolls Online for PS5 and the Xbox Series X and S is also today. And if you have the PS4 or the Xbox One, you get the Gates of Oblivion version of that. On June 10th, we've got Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrade for the PS5. I'm going to probably go ahead and skip that one. Uh, Ninja Gaiden Master Collection for the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and the PC on June 10th. I'm probably going to pick that one up. Uh, Game Builder Garage for the Switch on June 11th, which um, has been getting some interesting uh, reviews on their trailers. Uh, some people are genuinely interested, and in I'm going to get that in a little bit. Uh, Guilty Gear Strive uh, for the PS5, the PS4, and the PC on June 11th. And finally, what everybody's been waiting for since November because everybody kind of thought it was going to be a PS5 launch title, and that's Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. That is June 11th. Now, that Game Builder Garage for the Switch, that intrigues me just as much as intriguing most people that I'm reading um, about online. It sort of reminds me of Dreams that came out a couple years ago. I never played that, but Game Builder Garage has my interest. It seems super intuitive, and because it's Nintendo, I'm sure it'll be easy to learn. Uh, plus... You can make a racing game for license to drink. Yeah, please, let's do that. Um, I also haven't played a Ratchet & Clank title since the original, but Rift Apart. Uh, like I said, everybody thought it was going to be a, a launch title. It wasn't quite ready yet. I thought it was going to be a launch title for the PS5 for the last seven months. Been waiting for it. Um, and even though I wasn't so much anxious for it uh, at the time, I've kind of become more anxious for it the more I see of it. Um, so it's definitely going to be a pickup for me. Um, so yeah, so Game Builder Garage and Ratchet and Clank, those are probably going to be the two that I pick up. Uh, so a little something about today's episode that, like I've already said, it's going to be based on opinions, uh, and they might not be popular, but please do discuss. Um, RPGs aren't exactly my go-to genre, 
In fact, I play RPGs like second to least, um, sport titles being the least. And outside of the pseudo RPG series, that is The Legend of Zelda, I've only ever finished a handful of RPGs. And like RPGs that are now decades old. That's pretty much <laughs> the ones that I've probably finished. Um, so does this make me the foremost expert on the subject of today's episode? Well, I don't claim to be an expert really in anything except for maybe drinking, uh, but I will say that today's list will be based on games that um, have been popular enough over the last few decades that in turn their characters will be popular enough for me to be familiar with them. Uh, why? Because the more popular mainstream RPGs are, they're the only ones that I play. So like, there probably won't be anyone from the Risen series in here, and I don't play PC games, so any RPGs only released for the PC, you can toss those right out as well. Uh, but my thought process here, however, is that no RPG character is going to be known to be a great one if the masses wouldn't already know about them anyway. So there's that. And we're throwing away specifics here as well. So like your JRPGs, your hybrid RPGs, your ARPGs, Th that crap doesn't matter. We're just focusing literally on RPG aspect of the game. With that being said, uh, let's get into ranking the top seven RPG characters of all time according to... Seven. Sora from Kingdom Hearts. The Kingdom Hearts series is the only series that had a commonality in my past life, in that it was the only game that former ex-girlfriends actually had an interest in playing. Other than that, they didn't care about video games. There was one that liked me, liked to watch me play Shadow of the Colossus, but then that's like the extent. And sure, it may have had something to do with the whole Disney tie-in, but they certainly didn't care about any other Disney games. I think the attribute here for what makes Kingdom Hearts interesting and enduring are the characters and the relationships themselves. And I believe that all starts with Sora. Sora, our hero of the Kingdom Hearts series, he's a teenager who comes from the Destiny Islands and obtains the Keyblade, a weapon used to fight creatures known as the Heartless. In order to find their King Mickey Mouse, his allies Donald Duck and Goofy recruit him in their journey across various worlds to save them from darkness, as well as find Sora's friends. Throughout the games, Sora journeys throughout worlds interacting with various Disney characters, and gains experience with the Keyblade as well as his growth uh, as its wielder. I personally don't have much more of a connection past Kingdom Hearts 2. I finished the first one and was super excited for the release of the Kingdom Hearts 2 when it came out around, I think that was like Christmas of 2005. And I did pick it up. I was dating someone that actually also liked the Gauntlet series, and Seven Sorrows uh, was kind of out around the same time, and that was the game that, like, the couple hours a week I had that we played, so, yeah, I never did quite get off the ground with Kingdom Hearts 2, unfortunately, but that doesn't mean that Sora hasn't stuck with me for nearly 20 years now. Um, he's the kind of character that, no matter what his troubles are, he always found a way to be a brave and loyal friend. And I found through the one and one quarter of the games I played that he remained humble the more powerful he became. 
uh, despite sometimes being quick to fumble. Oh, here I go with my rhyming again. Yo, right next to that Bible, and I swear with these 50 shots, I shoot it out with 5 <laughs> No weight watch, no lipo. Money talk bullshit, walks on a motherfucking tightrope. Yeah. Gonna make that pussy cut Knock that pussy out, Because <laughs> that's just how the dice roll. Yeah. I'm not sure where Sora's character arc has gone since Kingdom Hearts 2, but... This is one character I've always sworn to revisit when time allows, and this is why Sora from Kingdom Hearts comes in at number 7 on my list. I need to quench my thirst with this Pabst Cold Brew. Iced coffee. Ah, oh, it's so hard. 6. Telezora Naraya from Mass Effect. Mass Effect and Mass Effect 2 were titles I played on the PS3 as I barely played my Xbox 360 both times I owned one, and though I could buy the 360 titles and play them today on my Xbox Series X, the first two Mass Effect games are like one of the reasons why I would want to buy a PS3 again. Um, there is just something about Mass Effect and PS3 that kind of like peanut butter and jelly to me. Anyway, I can't say I played Mass Effect 3. Um, and now that all three have actually been remastered, uh, with all their DLC in one nice and tight package called the Legendary Edition that just came out a few weeks ago, can actually hold off on buying that PS3 a little longer and, well, I can play Mass Effect 3 finally, you know, when I get the time. And getting away from the topic at hand here, um, Telezor Naraya, or just Tali, is a Quarian, and that's an alien race that appear to be human, but they're kind of like smaller and um, they're they're like stronger um, in like what they can physically do, but they have a weakened immune system. Um, and because of that, they have to wear these life suits because of that weakened immune system. And that's due to their ships being so super sterilized that that's just how their race has become. Uh, Tali's backstory is somewhat vast and detailed, but I'll say that we can see how skilled of an engineer she is in the first Mass Effect, working with Alliance engineer Greg Adams. They often work together to disassemble any abandoned technology, such as old orbital probes that the Normandy's survey missions discover. Um, Shepard can chat to Tali about her fascination with Starship technology and the Normandy's unique design, especially the enormous drive core. I could keep going on about her people and her parents and this pilgrimage that she's on, but for a character who isn't even the main series character, Mass Effect certainly does give her enough of a story and an arc that she certainly stands out from Commander Shepard, in my opinion. And though smart and strong, she also shows signs of sadness with all the things that she's been through, making her quite human. Completing her pilgrimage by Mass Effect 2 and now becoming Talazor Vasnima of the Migrant Fleet things seem to be getting better for Tali. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted for her character uh, to do from the first game is to obviously uh, get involved with Commander Shepard. And through a choice of the player, that romance can finally happen in Mass Effect 2, which adds an extra dimension to her character, seeing how far she will go to be able to have physical contact with Shepard. 
Tally is really the only character when I think of RPG characters that isn't a main protagonist or antagonist when I think of the best RPG characters. And that is a testament for what Preston Wanamuniak in his company brought to that character. Along with voice acting talents of Liz Sroka, I mean, she really brings Tally forth. And that's, to me, what makes her number six on my list. Mmm, time for a gulp of my icy cold beverage. Oh, time for one more gulp. One more, just one more. It was at that moment that I first realized Elaine had doubts about our relationship. And that, as much as anything else, led to my drinking problem. We did come back to the States. Tried a number of jobs. Well, I could go on for hours. There we go. Hope you're drinking with me, folks. Five. Chrono from Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger is the second best RPG on the Super Nintendo. And the next best RPG from Square slash Squaresoft slash Square Enix, which makes it easily one of my all-time favorite RPG titles. I'm really not trying to let nostalgia bleed out here, but when I think back to the NES and its games that I never owned but rented, Chrono Trigger wins the award for most rentals and late fees paid to Blockbuster. I'm pretty certain of that. Chrono Trigger takes place in a world similar to Earth, with eras such as the prehistoric age in which primitive humans and dinosaurs share the Earth, the Middle Ages, replete with knights, monsters, and magic, and the post-apocalyptic future, where destitute humans and sentient robots struggle to survive. One member of the team of characters, Chrono, is tasked with saving the world from the apocalyptic monster Lavos, Um, and he has to do so via time travel. And that adventure would ultimately culminate in one of 13 endings. Uh, While time travel is a novel mechanic and has been used in other games... What's up, Link? wouldn't have been nearly as memorable had it not been for the colorful cast of characters it allowed Chrono to encounter during his journey. And like someone else we'll get into on this list, uh, Chrono himself has a surprising amount of personality for a silent protagonist, largely thanks to the well-written inclusion of the character subplots. They really show Chrono's development from a schlub living at home with Mommy through this and throughout their adventure. Okay, so nostalgia for an NES title that combines a little Final Fantasy with a little Secret of Mana to create a pretty solid game does play a pretty big role. I mean, Chrono isn't that far off from Link, but even though Chrono is more fleshed out than any time Link ever was, which wasn't ever by much, it's hard for me to rank Chrono any higher because of my greedy loyalty to the other series. Unfortunately, that's why Chrono just falls into the number five spot on my list. 
That's rhetorical, by the way. I really think I'm entitled to an answer to that question. Time to drink. So, I wanted to just kind of throw this out here, kind of in the middle of things. Ah, boy, here we go. I didn't want to go into, like, great series detail, especially since some of these characters stretch throughout different games, and especially give background on to, like, let's say, the first release, when it was released, and on what platforms it was released, for the most part, because that's focusing on one game when I'm really trying to focus on the characters here. And those characters, like I said, will span more than one title. I'm definitely not going to go into all the titles that they're in, and all the release dates, and the platforms. That's just not going to happen. So, I just want to just throw that out there, what my focus is, as we get into Sephiroth from Final Fantasy. So the Final Fantasy series as a whole is a Japanese anthology sci-fi fantasy series created by Hironobu Sakaguchi and developed and owned by Square Enix, or here we go again, formerly Square or Squaresoft. The franchise centers on a series of fantasy and science fantasy role-playing video games. Now, I'm going to just kind of, in a way, go against what I just said. I do want to... I do want to give like an introduction to Final Fantasy as a whole because it's so massive. There's so many games. I do want to point out where the series did begin and then where this character comes into play. Okay? So, here we go. Get on with it. Yes! Get on with it! I'm enjoying this scene. Get on with it! The first game in the series was released in 1987, with 14 other main numbered entries being released since then. The franchise has since branched into other video game genres such as tactical role-playing, action role-playing, massive multiplayer online role-playing, racing, third-person shooters, fighting, and rhythm games, as well as branching into other media including CGI films, anime, manga, and novels. Sephiroth, I mean, it's fucking Sephiroth. I mean, Jesus Christ, Sephiroth is just... Well, we're going to get there. Uh, his first appearance in the series was in Final Fantasy VII. And when Sephiroth shows up on screen, he commands attention. No other antagonist in the RPGs I've played in my lifetime stands out like he does. To me, he has this calm demeanor while still being a ruthless son of a bitch, making him confident in whatever he decides to spew forth from his pie hole. And he's tall and muscular and has that long, flowing silver hair. Oh, and how he handles his seven-foot-long Masamune. <laughs> oh, I'm comfortable with this, very much so. What the hell is wrong with you? So I'm pretty much gushing here, and I feel seemingly already telling you why Sephiroth is on my list at all. Uh, so just a little backstory as to what made Sephiroth the commanding figure he is. During his time with Shinra, he was a professional. Uh, sort of aloof, um, but sort of had some close friends. Otherwise, he stuck to himself. Uh, he was known to be charitable, 
despite these attributes, and was a great leader who really didn't crave that much attention. It isn't until he learns about experiments with Genova cells that lead him to go insane. And this was like a thing that happened at his birth um, and throughout life. So it drives him to insanity and he, and he takes how good of a soldier he is into consideration when he ultimately turns into this godlike complex he's known for having. And throughout his dealing with Cloud Strife, he practically mentally abuses Cloud to the extent that Sephiroth can be seen as a physical manifestation of the darkness and the troubles that lie within Cloud himself. For a man also known as the one-winged angel, the nightmare, the man in the black cape, and the self-proclaimed chosen one who will rule the world, Sephiroth, in my opinion, is one of the best antagonists ever created. Not only in RPG games, but period. And my hat's off to George Newbern as well for giving this character, well character. <laughs> um, Newburn is the only Sephiroth in my book, and I just wanted to throw it out there that another major reason why I was so very disappointed with the remake for Final Fantasy VII was that the entire recasting... I, I It was just another one of the reasons why I never finished that, that remake. Anyway, uh, long story short, Sephiroth. That's, that's why he makes it uh, into my heart and into number four in my slot. Did you catch that? When I said slot, did you catch that? It was a pun. <laughs> Time for a drink. Oh, Pabst, you do me well. Geralt of Rivia from The Witcher. Okay, so Geralt is all over the place. Um, that character, his history. I could probably do a half hour talking just about Geralt, uh, but we're not going to do that. I have a limit to my podcast hours that I want to do every month. So, uh, But like with these episodes, uh, because I have to cover seven items within this ranking subject in less than an hour. Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, this is going to be a bridge as always. Uh, fans of the Netflix series, I got news for you. Uh, the Witcher was a video game before the Netflix series. Oh, and fans of the Witcher video game uh, series, I got news for you. The Witcher and Geralt were on film and television, first known as the Hexer before the video games. Oh, and fans of the Hexer, I got news for you. The Witcher was a book series at first. So let's start there using the Cliff's Notes versions. So Geralt is a Witcher, and shortly after his birth, Geralt's mother, Vecina, gave him away to undergo training and eventually become a witcher at Kira Mohan. And that's the stronghold of the witchers. Geralt survived mutations during the Trial of the Grasses, thanks to which he gained various witcher traits. High resistance to injury, um, poison and disease, and of course, slow aging. And we're going to touch on that in a bit. Uh, but also infertility, unfortunately. Yeah, it kind of sucks. Uh, he resisted the changes brought on by the trial of grasses better than most though and which that encouraged his makers to perform even more dangerous experimental procedures on him making him then lose his body pigmentation pretty much 
Because of his pale skin and white hair, he is also known in the Elder Speech as Gwynblade. Um, that's kind of close to the Welsh translation of Blade Gwyn, uh, a.k.a. the White Wolf. Uh, from the arduous training of witchers, he became a master sword fighter and learned how to use the signs, uh, which are simple spells used by witchers. Despite his name, Geralt does not come from Rivia, although he learned how to mimic Rivian accent and is later knighted for services to the Queen of Rivia. Young witchers were encouraged to make up surnames for themselves by Master Vesemir. To make their, it, it made their names sound more trustworthy. He once claimed that his first choice was, get this, Geralt Roger Eric Duhot Bellegarde. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Geralt Roger Eric Duhot Bellegarde. Uh, but this was dismissed by Vesemir as being silly and pretentious, <laughs> which it does sound that way. <laughs> that is the stupidest thing I ever heard of. Jesus Christ. After completing his Witcher training, uh, he received his wolf medallion, the symbol of Kier Morhen, and embarked into the world on his horse called Plotka to become a monster slayer for hire. Even though Geralt did not believe in destiny, he unknowingly demanded the unborn child of Princess Pavetta and her husband Dunny as a reward for his services by invoking the Law of Surprise. The child turned out to be a girl, Cirilla, commonly known as Ciri. Since then, the two are linked to each other. At first, Geralt did not take her because women cannot become witchers. However, fate caused Geralt and Ciri to cross their paths thrice, with him claiming her for a second time when he invokes the law of surprise on a traveling merchant and saves her from monsters during a random encounter. And after the death of her grandmother, Queen Kenneth the Centra, uh, Geralt ends up taking the girl into his care, training and loving her as his own daughter. Following the short stories, the novels unfold as Geralt is pulled into a whirlwind of events in his attempts to protect Ciri from those who would do her harm, becoming reluctantly embroiled in the political contentions of monarchs and emperors. So, that's his backstory from a written perspective. And the game series supposedly... Um, picks up from there, though, however, um, taking your route from the novelizations here, they throw him into the Monster Slaying Adventures, but it's non-canical. And I'll tell you why. The reason being is because Geralt, spoiler alert, was killed at the end of the novelizations. Which is why Witcher creator Andrew Sapkowski has said the games stand on their own and have nothing to do with his books. Um, they're neither a reimagining a sequel nor a side story. The games just kind of took the character and did whatever they wanted to do with it. But I felt like Geralt needed to have his story told as the creator intended. So... That's why I'm throwing that out there, and that's why if you have read the Witcher series, and then you go into playing the games, you already know who Geralt is, and you already have a connection to him, which that helps make Geralt a good video game character in and of itself. And I just want to say the Netflix series, that's based on the books too, not the game. So like me, uh, I was kind of like thinking like, oh, they're making a Netflix series, 
based off the game. But then as it turns out, it's clearly not based off the game. It's based off the book. So despite that, I mean, I mean, it sounds like basically people out there are denouncing the game series. Like the creators, like the game series has nothing to do with my books. It's its own thing. Don't don't try to make anything of it. And then Netflix was like, oh, we're going to do a series, the Witcher series, but it's not going to have anything to do with the games. It's going to be based upon the books. Like the games are kind of like the bastard child of the Witcher, um, it seems to me. Um, but despite that, you know, CD Projekt Red, um, I mean, it sounds like they just made Witcher fluff, really, but that doesn't mean that they're not great games. They essentially made CD Projekt Red or CDPR, if you like your abbreviations, uh, a household name in a good way, in a good way. We're not going to talk about the bad way as of late, just in a good way. Uh, now, just focusing on Geralt, the RPG character, uh, because I've said a lot already, uh, he's went through some shit. Uh, because of his becoming of a Witcher, he is basically cursed to live a longer life than most, like I said. Uh, he's around 100 by the events of The Witcher 3. In my opinion, is the best Witcher game of the series. Uh, uh, despite him uh, having been through said shit by then, he still remains relatable in a way that he nearly relates to the player themselves. Um, I find myself sometimes making decisions for me and not so much Geralt, but how they play out makes Geralt a very deep character. Even though there's these times where he loses his faith in everything, and he pulls through. This does lose some translation of what made Geralt a great character in literature, uh, with this quote-unquote, what I decide to do is what makes Geralt Geralt. Um, but CDPR did a hell of a good job not making a bland RPG character that we are forced to relate to, but rather give Geralt enough of his own character where even what we decide to do as a player, it nearly seems like Geralt is relating to us. <laughs> I I really don't know how much more I can try to explain uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say. Basically, I'm trying to say that it's like we're Geralt and Geralt is us and we're playing with each other. Uh, boy, okay, well, anyway, rewind it, <laughs> rewind it, take another listen, it's in there, my message is in there, um, but yeah, uh, that's that's why Geralt is number three on my list today, because he's us and we're him. Alright, time for a sip of my Pabst hard cold brew iced coffee. For reasons... Too disturbing to mention. I, I find that hot. These episodes aren't sponsored by anybody, by the way. Not yet. Just want to throw that out there. Two. Link from The Legend of Zelda. Okay, so some of you might be surprised that I didn't pick Link at number one, uh, but some might argue that maybe Link shouldn't be in here at all because he's not, like, true RPG. But like I said, I'm throwing out those, like, subgenre things, and if a game is some kind of RPG or has RPG elements or can be classified as some kind of RPG uh, formally, then yes, The Legend of Zelda is a series that falls in there, and Link is on this list. Um, 
some are going to be surprised that he's not my number one, but um, you know what? So at this point, I haven't been quite certain the best format for even talking about these characters. You can't talk about them without talking about the game or the series that they're in, but I also didn't want to go apeshit on the game, like I said earlier, and then run short on time with the character, or talk too much about the character and then not enough about the game, uh, since the game environment should be important to the character. Honestly, I have the target in mind, and I'm just going at it. Which, despite the format may differ from one character to the next, it's just how my brain's working right now. Uh, all that being said, and considering this topic target is Link from The Legend of Zelda, I need to make sure that my brain doesn't go off the rails when I talk about this particular character. Again, if you listen to episode numero uno, you know that The Legend of Zelda is my favorite game series of all time. And until I do episodes just focus solely on that series, I can't allow myself to get too deep into <laughs> into it here. Um, but, of course, as these lists go on in every episode, my top three are probably going to be more, more lengthy discussions. So, just letting you know. So, you'll probably be as long as The Witcher. Depends upon how my brain goes here, but... The Legend of Zelda is a high-fantasy action-adventure video game franchise created by Japanese game designer Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka. Yay! It is primarily developed and published by Nintendo, although some portable installments and re-releases have been outsourced to Capcom, Vanpool, and Grizzle. The gameplay incorporates action-adventure and elements of action RPG games. The series centers on various incarnations of Link, a courageous young Hillian man, sometimes a boy, with pointy elf-like ears, and can't forget about Princess Zelda, a magical princess that is the immortal reincarnation of the goddess Hylia, as they fight to save the magical land of Hyrule from Ganon, an evil warlord turned demon king, who is the principal antagonist of the series. Ganon wishes to use the Triforce, which is a sacred relic left behind by the three goddesses that created Hyrule to remake the world in his own dark image. When gathered together, the power of the Triforce can grant any wish its user desires. However, if someone with a heart that does not possess a balance of the three virtues of power, courage, and wisdom attempts to touch the Triforce, it's going to split into the three triangles and bond with those people whose hearts embody the required virtue. Which is why, for the most part, it's almost always split up in the games, because Ganon can't, can't really use the whole thing. Although their personalities and backstory differ from game to game, the incarnations of Link and Zelda often have many traits in common, such as Link often being left-handed and associated with the color green, while Princess Zelda is often a member of the royal family. While the conflict with Ganon serves as a backbone for the series, some games have featured other settings and antagonists with Link traveling or being sent to these other lands in their time of need. Focusing on the incarnations here, that could potentially be what ruins the Link character for most, in that it he shouldn't appear as a top character list of anything, really. Uh, Link is essentially the same character that goes through nearly the same character arc every incarnation. Uh, plus, he's a silent protagonist, never speaking or even having text dialogue in Zelda games. Uh, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs>
However, we know what Link is feeling and saying to others in the games based upon their reactions and replies during interactive sequences. Given that, we know what Link's attitude is like at any given moment without hearing or reading a single word. And despite each game, aside from direct sequels where Link is already the hero, where Link is living his Groundhog Day of rinse and repeat, he's still someone that begins during this age of innocence, and through the trials and tribulations he faces, becomes this foretold hero of ancient text, and still remains quiet and humble to the very end of his journey. He is the epitome of someone who thinks their life means nothing in the grand scheme of things, but finds their potential once they apply themselves, whether it be through intuition or destiny. And depending upon which version of Link we get, we can either get a silly wise-ass kid, or an adult that takes his shit pretty seriously. And unlike Chrono from Chrono Trigger, another silent protagonist that fell on my list if you were listening earlier, the difference here with Link coming in higher than Chrono really lends to the support of the grand story that most Zelda games weave around Link. And I'm just going to leave it at that, because I honestly feel like I could keep going and keep telling you why I do love him so. Uh, but we're just leaving it at that. Those are just some of the reasons why Link is number two on my list today. Oh. I always manage to have two two nice gulps left before I get to number one. Ah, I wonder if I can keep up that record. I'll let you guys know. I, I'm thinking one of these days I'm going to run out. I'm going to run out before I even reach number one. But let's just take one of two gulps. Save the last cult for after number one. Yeah! Jesus fucking Christ, it's about time. <sighs> Cloud Strife from Final Fantasy. So I kind of threw some stuff out earlier when talking about Sephiroth, about Final Fantasy. So technically, like, if I were to repeat some of that stuff, um, or just start talking about the series, the beginning of the series again, like, it would make this pretty long. But um, actually, this is going to come in pretty short. Um, but I, again, like with Sephiroth, when talking about Final Fantasy, this is like another, like, series I could spend an entire episode on. And I'm not going to do that here because, you know, time and your attention and your focus is of the essence. So, okay, Paul, you did pretty good on Link. That was that was pretty good. So let the brain flow fluidly here like you did on that. Um, we, we already covered the very brief history, like I said, of what Final Fantasy is when discussing Sephiroth. So no sense in beating a dead horse. But like Sephiroth, Cloudstrife's first appearance was in Final Fantasy VII. Uh, he's introduced as a mercenary employed by Avalanche, the eco-terrorist group opposed to the Shinra Company. And since he appeared in like 21 other games, uh, those comprised of sequels and spin-offs, he has also made guest appearances in nine other games, by the way, like Kingdom Hearts and Super Smash Brothers. I don't want to rinse and repeat myself of some of the other connected information I spouted off when talking about Sephiroth and the travesty of how my brain functioned when speaking 
of that sexy psycho of a man. Uh, so allow me to just get down into why Cloud ranks number one on my list, and we'll be done with that. Uh, he's the most human character in RPG video games. You can fight me on that. Go ahead. My email is potationrotation at gmail.com. Publicly shame me uh, by throwing virtual stones on my Instagram. I don't give a shit. Um, he, he, he can act like a fucking dick, right? Um, but I feel like he has to. It's like a front for that boy band-like tough exterior that, if not for the slight attitude he carries, he'd come off as a prissy boy pushover. Uh, no one needs that in their hero, to be honest. And almost like Link, Cloud's life is nearly driven by fate and not by choice. It is in what the other characters ask of Cloud to do that gives us a glimpse of that interior good guy that is, you know, underneath that exterior of my prior observation. <laughs> that does make it seem like he truly has no motivations in his actions, making him an anti-hero, really. Focusing on what begins Cloud on his arc, beginning from Final Fantasy VII, he ends up losing focus on life, realizing that he is misremembering his life and that he isn't some sort of super soldier he once thought he was. His psyche gets shattered, and, you know, even though this happens, through his troubles and breakdowns, he strives to persevere with the aid of his teammates. And nothing better complements Cloud's yang than Sephiroth's yin. <laughs> or it may be opposite, because in theory... Cloud isn't a hero after all, and Sephiroth is. As stated earlier when talking about Sephiroth, he is nearly the dark side of Cloud. Cloud's demons manifested, so to speak. Everything Cloud thought he was, that he actually isn't. It is both a compliment to the characters when the hero needs a proper villain, and a conundrum of sorts that this compliment goes much deeper than your standard definition of good versus evil. There's just no better storytelling or complement of characters, I've seen where the player gets this complexity that drives home the deep psychological nature of a character that is Cloud Strife. This is what shows that he is the most human character in RPG video games. So go ahead and send me emails, but he's my number one on my list. All right, one last gulp in the episode. Pabst Hard Cold Brew Coffee. Mmm, it's going down so smooth. One last gulp. Ah. Ah. Always a winner in my book. Good morning, beverage. Anyway, that potation rotation, people, is my list of top seven RPG characters today. Uh, before I go, it's time for a little segment I like to call the Porto Rota Players Pro Tip of the Day. Oh, yeah. This is where I take one game on my list and give you a pro tip for playing the game you may not know about. These could be cheats, Easter eggs, or I might even tell you something unnecessary since that's what the phrase pro tip was created for, um, to follow up with some kind of bullshit. So what will it be today? It's kind of a legit tip and kind of unnecessary bullshit uh, put together. Um, but in The Witcher, Geralt has no issue getting some of that sweet, sweet booty, right? However... Uh, you know, don't be a slut with him and try to get both Yennefer and Triss or else Geralt is going to have to finish both the game by himself and finish himself by himself, if you know what I mean. Holy fuck, you're stupid. You're such a fucking idiot. 
Jesus Christ, you're dumb. Dum 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 dum. Fuck. And that was Porto Rota Players Pro Tip of the Day. So thanks for joining me on yet another episode of the Retro Rankings Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I did drinking my way through it. Uh, if you have any comments for me or want to share your thoughts, I would be more than willing to share them on a future episode. You can email me at potationrotation at gmail.com. You can also visit potationrotation.com, and there you're going to find all the links on the homepage for our YouTube content. You can come find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and keep a listen for the next episode. If you follow on the socials, you'll get notified when that'll be. Uh, that's going to do it for today. I'm going to go brew up the next episode, ranking the top seven Zelda console titles, featuring Keith of the Main Quest podcast and our very own License to Drink fame. I'll see you guys then. Later. Later.